Welcome to the Advent Sermons and Conversations podcast. This is the Conversations Half. We will be talking about what to do after the call. I'm Deanne. I'm Kevin. I'm Sarah. Today's sermon was incredible, I think. It just gave us a lot to think about. Mm -hmm. Does anybody want to try to summarize the sermon? Well, today is Palm Sunday, so the, the focus was on Jesus entering Jerusalem on a donkey. Yes, and so as he's doing that, he's doing that in opposition to the way that Pilate had entered into Jerusalem in terms of a military parade, in terms of um, emphasizing power and uh, domination. Jesus comes in in a subversive way that unites the community, and the people are clamoring for him to save them. They cry out, Hosanna, which means save us. And so the sermon today discussed that and the ways in which um, Jesus rides into the violent portions of our society today and the ways in which we need to continue to look for that um, salvation and the ways in which we continue to work for that salvation. Thanks. I think that was a solid summary. Yeah, definitely. And that definitely brought up for me um, kind of the sentiment I've been seeing more and more is that Jesus was a political figure in his time, and he was kind of leading resistance against this um, Roman occupation of um, Jerusalem and of the area. And while we don't necessarily get what he's referencing off of or what he's riffing off of he was kind of making direct opposition like in this where Pontius Pilate is riding in on a war horse and so Jesus is riding in on a donkey something so small and so like by the world considered weak and yet Jesus says no this is my power this is where I am strong it's a statement move and I think it says some. It's meant to say something to all people thereafter, you know, including us who read read this text today. That's what's so. I mean, it, it that has incredible power, you know. Yeah, it's resonated thousands of years. Yeah, I loved the kind of a climactic moment in the sermon today when Pastor Danielle was like, you know, I'm clinging to the ridiculosity of these palm branches and the, the ridiculousness of, uh, of this donkey and the ridiculousness of the cross. There's this element that in the, in the face of great power and domination in society, in, in the face of all this injustice, there's almost a ridiculousness of like waving these palm branches. And it's in that very um, uh, refusal to, to, you know, give in to, the ridiculosity of hope um, that we continue to move forward in the face of all this injustice. It's meant to completely, you know, it's meant to be counterintuitive Mm -hmm. because we, the point is we have to change our thinking about how, how power really works and how change and peace really come about. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, yeah, it's intentionally counterintuitive because the, the ways that society tells us, uh, peace and change come about are are not right, and particularly in that I uh, I mean violence. Yeah. Um. To so your point, the end about Jesus being a political figure, like I think about how like I think that's really important to remember because you know Jesus is such a multifaceted person 
that there's a, so many different ways to see him, you know, and there's one where it's kind of like characterized, like happy go lucky shepherd Jesus just smiling and radiating joy for all people. And there's kind of like deified Jesus of being this like glowing, I don't know, you know, there's all these different things. And I think Jesus as a political figure, like a real person in the world, like start creating this movement i think that's one that often gets left out absolutely i mean he's so often flattened out into um like you said this deified figure where i mean traditionally jesus is viewed as being fully god and fully fully human but oftentimes in my experience of the church at least um we focus so much on the divinity of christ that we forget that he had a specific social location so like jesus was jewish in Palestine in the first century. He was a a part of an oppressed people group. And when he's creating this movement, when he's doing these actions that we read in the text, we we miss out on so much of it, um, of what it's actually doing, because we don't see the the political nature of it, like you were saying. So to to, to all those oppressed people welcoming Jesus as he comes into Jerusalem, we, uh, you had mentioned earlier, Sarah, about how like, what Jesus knew that moment meant riding in the donkey in on a donkey didn't necessarily match what the people welcoming him thought that it meant in their expectations of what he was going to do. But he was already giving them the clue of the fact that he wasn't coming in guns a blazing, but on a donkey. Uh, but Pastor Danielle had said uh, to them, violence was the most logical tool of liberation because it was all they had known. And that just the, violence is the most logical tool of liberation that line just like it it really cut through to me it fascinates me because i think that logic still is pervades today for anybody who hasn't heard the sermon you should totally go back it's just so rich and so important um but yeah the the idea about like yeah violence as the solution and she was talking about how many riots there have been in the city but yeah jesus and god says no like that's not the way of god and that's not how to make the kingdom of god is not through bloodshed and not through like righteous killing of your enemies which is why i always like whenever people have like war room as their prayer room or all of these like very violent imagery of god i kind of like cringe at because i'm like Mm. no god is the bringer of peace even when we want violence we want that retribution we want Mm -hmm. kind of that almost animalistic like i want they hurt me so i want to make them hurt and god says no like we're stopping the cycle of violence we're we're bringing peace through peace because there's a problem when you defeat your oppressor through violence you become the new oppressor and then they are going to want vengeance on you and then if they get it you're going to want vengeance on them and the cycle continues and the cycle doesn't stop yeah um that's another part from the sermon that uh, Pastor Danielle talked about how we're all 
um, we all have the capacity to be oppressed and we all have the capacity to be the oppressor. Yeah, giving in to uh, violent means or uh, the, you know, dominant means of securing liberation can continue to fuel oppression in this time you're the, the the oppressed turn around and become the oppressor. I do want to lift up the fact that a lot of times in these conversations in the church, we tend to create these binaries of what good protest looks like versus bad protest. Um, and this can lead to like this respectability politics where there's like, for example, just yesterday in the U.S., we had all of these marches centered around uh, calling for gun control, the uh, March for Our Lives. And... Um, it was a, a wonderful show of resistance uh, to the violence that has been plaguing our country. But unfortunately, what has happened is because of the ways in which we have been so focused and and, and, and um, particularly, I think, in the church, so focused on trying to do this in a certain way, we end up silencing other kinds of protests that are equally valid, that are equally protests against injustice, but because they don't look the way we think they should look, we end up minimizing the actual problems that exist, particularly I'm thinking about police brutality and a lot of the the uprisings and the, and the um, show of uh, the, the voices that have been lifted up in Ferguson and in Baltimore and just recently in Sacramento and another um, young black man was murdered by police in his own backyard, uh, Stefan Clark, I believe his name was. We tend to ignore these egregious oversights because we don't think that those protests look the way that um, Jesus would do it um, or they're not sanitized the way that we think that uh, they should be and what oftentimes ends up happening is that that binary that's created it's um, the protests that are led by white people tend to be the ones that media focuses on the protests that are um, resisting injustice in black and brown communities are the ones that are ignored and overlooked because um of this respectability politics that comes around activism and movements for justice. So I do want to lift that up. It's like, how do we hold this ideal of nonviolence mm-hmm. and bringing about peace in the world without falling into, you have to act this very specific way to be listened to. Right. Because the, the definition of what, is respectable and what is uh, decent. The the walk to walk and the talk to talk in in America at least has been defined by white culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what what's the difference between? I guess the question is, what's the difference between like true like nonviolence and just our own expectations of how people should act right. and talk? Right. Um, because I because I saw yesterday too like. You know, I watched many interviews of, of kids of all ages that the media was, was interviewing. And, um, you know, you, you saw it in varying degrees different levels of competency with being able to kind of like talk with the level of articulateness that you, you it's tempting to think should be expected or required of them. But then you realize like who's, who's created that standard? And, you know, like why in order for their cause to be heard, it's like they have to like dress nice and and look respectable and look intelligent. And like that, that may not be a f- fair expectation. 
There's, I mean, there's a lot of nuance to this conversation. It's been going on for a really long time and it's beyond my scope or ability to like <laughs> wrap my head around. But I mean, even just in the differences in the way that like a lot of times like Martin Luther King Jr. was characterized as approaching this, uh, you know, fight for civil rights and uh, Malcolm X was have, has been characterized. And even then there's like not as much difference as a lot of times people like to think, but like there's been this conversation of like, how do we actually work for liberation? Um, and what is the role of violence? And how do we do this in a way where we don't too um, feed into this same cycle? Um, it's, it, there's a lot of nuance there and there's a lot of conversation that needs to be had. I do want to put in the disclaimer that all three of us here are all white people, Mm -hmm. um, who are allies for racial justice, but we really encourage you guys to look for more resources from people of color telling their own stories and talking about ways to be active and involved. Absolutely. Because despite our best efforts, we'll always, I'll always bring some level of ignorance yeah as much as i read about the effects of racism or the realities of living with racism in the united states i will always have this white skin and this privilege that comes with it i still think that this statement jesus is making by walking into a violent a kind of like oppressor oppressed dynamic that's just like primed for violence you know like it's so so tense the fact that he enters in this very radically humble, nonviolent way, I, I still think that is something that we think pe- people need to listen to and, and model today. The, the world needs that, and I, and I wonder how we as the church need to be replicating that, you know? I think the, the powerful image that uh, Pastor Danielle gave today was of Jesus riding into those spaces of of violence where violence is occurring and injustice is occurring and Jesus riding into Ferguson, Jesus riding into Baltimore, Jesus riding into these places. Um, And I think that that's part of where we need to be as the church of like showing up in these spaces and being bearing witness to the injustice and and pointing it out and and lifting up the voices that are already pointing it out and have been pointing it out and um, and creating space for there to be this imagination of what could be, what what is God doing in this space where we can move forward and continue to lean into this like now but not yet kingdom of God where God is is making all things new in this world. It's so interesting with this and then also how she was kind of touching a little bit on Good Friday and the kind of shift from people seeing Jesus, people seeing him as their savior. But then what, once Jesus doesn't give them what they want, what Which, they want. What is, what is it that, what they, that they want? A violent overthrow of the Roman oppression and yeah. Yeah. Um, they so quickly turn to Pontius Pilate and say, crucify him. And say, yeah, because Jesus doesn't give in to our kind of immediate need of want of violence and to change things, but he has a a bigger picture and a longer view and saying this isn't the way to reach peace. But then I feel like us as humans can so be so fickle and so then say, Okay, you won't save us, so crucify him. Exactly. What do, what does that say about 
people, you know, and, you know, how is that still happening today? You know, people who, how many people have genuinely tried to bring about peace end up being murdered for the cause and the movement that they're creating? Martin Luther King Jr. for one. Um, I mean, the list, the list could go on. Every Holy Week, I, I tend to think of Fred Hampton, uh, who's a leader in the Black Panther Party, who in this, in his activism and in the work that he was doing, he really subscribed to the idea that, you know, our liberation is bound up in each other. And so uh, as we fight the oppression that, you know, as he was fighting the oppression that they were facing in that time, they, he worked and and uh, partnered with other groups that were also being oppressed. And so he was really intentional about speaking with and creating this network of like, for example, the uh, poor white community to say that, okay, we're going to, my, my liberation is bound up in your liberation. We're going to work together. And, and as these communities were coming together and there was this movement of multiple, like people from very diverse backgrounds that were also wanting to not just, you know, fight for themselves, but fight for one another. And they were really challenging the status quo, you know? And so those that were in power in that uh, time period were threatened. And as a result, uh, the United States government murdered him. He was shot to death in his bedroom with uh, his pregnant wife laying there next to him. And it was an assassination um, because of the way in which he threatened to to turn the tables over in the United States. And uh, I, I see that, that common thread in a lot of these movements for liberation, the ways in which when we come together um, to say that we are not going to fight just for ourselves, we're going to come together and, and uh, work for peace for our community, um, that is a threat. And this is exactly what ends up happening to Jesus. His The way that the community came together and um, were celebrating him entering into Jerusalem. Yes, it, 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 they were thinking it was going to look differently than what he realizes it's going to look like. But that that causes this sense of alarm in the um, Jewish leadership, which ends up, and in the Roman Empire, it ends up leading to his crucifixion. It's interesting that you said turning the tables, because one of the first things that Jesus does when he enters Jerusalem is to turn all these tables selling goods in the temple. Yeah, and that's, that's I think, key for me in looking at that text is that it's in the temple, it's in this religious establishment. And so one of the things that this text always leads me to question is how are, what are the temples in our religious and faith communities that we need to turn over because they are actually um, colluding with empire? In one of the many articles about kind of the changing demographics about the U.S. and Christianity no longer being the majority religion, somebody was like, it should never be the majority religion because it makes it too complacent with kind of the status quo. And Christianity should constantly be flipping tables in a way and looking at like, are we really living Christ-like and not just what the status quo or what the world says is good that we can then also be like, yeah, but it's also Christian to earn millions of dollars or whatever of the things that we really need to take that hard look at our lives and say, am I doing this because the world is telling me I should be doing this or am I doing this because God is telling me I should be doing this? 
Yeah. And it's hard to make that distinction. So it's, which is why it's important to constantly be questioning. We, we become really invested in those, those tables being the way that they are. We become really invested in, I mean, I think about the ways in which white supremacy has become so interwoven with um, American Christianity. And we don't like the idea that maybe there are some elements to our theology and to our, you know, ecclesiology, the way that we structure our church leadership and oversight that needs to be questioned and turned over, um, we're really invested in those things because it gives for those of us that are up, you know, can identify with the dominating group. Uh, it gives us a sense of, of superiority. Of course, that's what the whole point is. Um, and security. And, and we don't like that questioned. Which brings me to my biggest problem with the thing I struggle with most after hearing, you know, today's gospel text and today's sermon, which is, you know, while Jesus comes in and gives us this powerful, like, symbol and message for change and ending this cycle of, of violence and they're, and they're always being an oppressor and an oppressed, I can't ignore that that cycle has not stopped. And for a large part of its history, the the church has been an active participant in it. You know, so much of the church's history has included violence and has included the oppression of other people. And like, I, you know, so, I mean, talk about not an immediate change. If people are like impatient in four days, like it's, it's been thousands of years. And I, and I do wonder like, what, is it just like a really long-term plan? Like what, what is God's intention in all of this and how, and how are, how are we meant to participate in it? Um, because it can seem like this, this story of Holy Week just keeps happening over and over again in our history. That's the kind of the question that I, I personally need answered and I haven't found the answer to it yet. If it exists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's, like, yes. Oh, just yes, let's just man. solve christianity <laughs> like right. here you know because um, you know you it, you can get be happy go lucky about palm sunday and holy week all you want but that's to that would be to ignore most of the church's history and, and human history since that time how do we reconcile that holy week message with the last two thousand years and the world we live in today yeah um Go for it, guys. Sure. Let me <laughs> take a swing at that one. Um, I, I think uh, for me, this just, again, makes me think of what the purpose of our now but not yet kingdom or kingdom of God really is supposed to look like. And uh, I think throughout church history, we have focused on different sides of that. The idea that God has brought the, the kingdom of, uh, you know, God's kingdom to earth through the life and ministry of Jesus, and yet there is this future kingdom of God that is we are still awaiting. And I think that in certain ways we have in church history focused on like the now part of the kingdom of God, where like, okay, so now um, this kingdom has been is unfolding, and that's why we are going to use our faith as a means of domination. We are going to use our faith to implement these crusades and inquisition and, um, you know, witch trials and 
conversion therapy and um, on and on and on. And building. Building. Gigantic building. Yeah. Palaces. Right. Palace sort of uh, churches. Right. So then that now part of the kingdom of God can lend into a real sense of like um, using faith for the purposes of domination and that imbalance has has led to that. And and then at the same time, in other corners of church history, we focus so much on the not yet that we have totally disengaged in the now and not been a part of any sort of solution. So we seclude ourselves in you know our little faith corners and don't in, engage in coming to together with and and being in solidarity with the oppressed. And uh, so I think that there's an important element to like bringing these two two pieces together and holding them in tension and the the power of the now but not yet kingdom is actually that it's both at the same time not either or that god is at work here and now today and we can see the ways in which the the spirit of god is active and god is making things new and we we need to look forward and and see the the new things be a part of the imagination of what new things God can be doing in these spaces of violence that continue to exist, and so the the end result of the now but not yet kingdom the fact that God is active and alive and and creating this new world that we're all striving for and hoping for is is in the movement of not staying where things are today and not disengaging and waiting for things to be good tomorrow but in being a part of the movement i was also thinking about kind of the tension between like faith and humanity and kind Mm. of our um our humanity if we want things now and we can have such a short attention span which i feel like has only gotten shorter um yeah but then the faith of like doing the work of god and doing the work of the kingdom and being like i know this is seeds and even though i won't necessarily live to see the results i know this is bringing about god's kingdom it's kind of comforting because it's like okay maybe maybe i'm not meant to reach the finish line of the change that god is making in the world this is this is one step of the marathon it takes some pressure off to clarify they're like when it's just the latter like a not kingdom has not yet come kind of mentality is that like like what it reminds me of what i hear is that view of like ah the world's totally messed up but like it doesn't matter because like i'm just gonna like keep the faith and go to church and believe in god and jesus and that means that i'm gonna be like i'm gonna be set once i die like i'm i have eternal life and the world can go on just going to crap yeah totally it's really just like the oh don't worry about now it's all about the future. And that's not a whole picture of Christianity. Not at all. Um, I think we've done it in different ways in history. So some of the time it looks like ascetics that go through these practices for their own spirituality, but then um, are secluded in, and doing so in such a way that it doesn't have any sort of influence on the community, withdrawal from the community. There's a lot of this tradition in Christianity of, you know, um, Christians withdrawing from society and creating their own enclave of religious people that are totally disconnected from everybody else. And it has no, what they're doing has no impact on the world whatsoever. Um, cause they're off in their own little corner, focusing on their own sp- 
spirituality and it ignores the materiality of, of yeah. faith. Yeah. You know, and, and then I'm especially also in my own experience thinking about like, um, I, the tradition that I grew up in, which was so dedicated to like interpreting revelation in this way and the, you know, different prophetical books in this way. And so they developed this like whole timeline of what the quote end times are going to look like with a rapture and then the seven years of tribulation and then the second coming of Christ. And like they had this whole timeline that, you know, they could chart out on these giant, giant like charts that they would have up at the front of the church. And there was such a focus on what, what God is going to do one day that it just became meaningless for today. Cause totally abstracted it's from exactly. your, exactly what the life that you're actually living. Yeah. Yeah. And what you were saying about kind of it being a marathon is I feel like everybody idolizes the goal and the end and when like the second coming of Jesus and when he's back and everything's great. So there's so much of the rapture theology and so many Mm. traditions that focus so, so heavily on the end times where it's just ignoring kind of, as you were saying, Sarah, like what's going on now? Because like it's the end that matters, but it's like this also matters and what we're doing now matters yeah maybe it's okay to be in the middle yeah i mean what what you said earlier kevin about um, maybe i'm not gonna see the finish line or whatever made me think of the text in hebrews where you know after the author lists all these people that of people of faith um the author says you know they they did not receive what had been promised to them and uh and then in the very next chapter the therefore in chapter 12 therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us and it's the sense of like all these people have gone before us they didn't see the finish line and they didn't receive what was promised and now they're a part of this cloud of witnesses in our lives, in our race, for in, in, in the perseverance that we need to be showing, and someday we're going to be part of a cloud of witnesses for another generation, you know. Mm. So therefore, let us run with perseverance. Mm. Let us run with perseverance, or let us ride with perseverance into these spaces, aka, AKA on the donkey. On the donkey. <laughs> I see what you I see, see what, what I'm doing there. Down. <laughs> I guess why. While I I feel like I lean toward being in the now and seeing the problems of today, I guess what why the not yet matters to me is because I just I I need to I want to have faith that that we're heading in the right direction that the that the work we're doing today is that there's going that the future is heading towards lasting peace and lasting change and and lasting freedom for all people that doesn't come through a system that oppresses one group or another and and faith that this cycle isn't going to continue forever that we've seen in history and it's it's not easy to to have faith in that but i think that in this palm sunday entrance i think jesus shows us the way and we might not reach the end of that path but like we we have a we have a guidepost like we have an example to follow in the time span of our life. Yeah, that's what I'm going to take away. I think it's a good takeaway. So, Kevin, after that, what will you do differently this week? I, you know, I'm, I'm going to think about 
I'm going to look look for places of, you know, oppression and think more about how can I, you know, be be like Jesus in the sense of walking of bringing uh, peace and unity and bringing people together into that space. You know, I think uh, not that, again, not not that I am, have the power to fix any of these huge problems, but I could be doing a lot more. I could be doing a lot more than I'm doing now. And I, I'm going to, I'm not saying I'm going to be able to do something this week, but I, what I am going to do is look for those opportunities more intentionally and have the courage and, and care, give enough of a damn to do it. How about you guys? The part of Pastor Daniel's sermon that is kind of like sticking with me right now is the, the fact that we all have the capacity to be oppressed and the oppressor. And so I think for this week, as I, you know, carry this sermon with me, I want to think about the, the spaces that I enter into that I am taking away attention from uh, the needs of people that are being oppressed in those spaces. Um, maybe thinking about the ways that I can I can be colluding with empire um, by taking focus away from from where it needs to be and listening to and lifting up voices that need to be listened to in that particular space of, you know, like you said, places of, of oppression, mm. um, listening to and lifting up those voices. And so this week, I especially want to be listening to all the hurt coming out of Sacramento right now, um, where all of this attention has been on the March for Our Lives, which is so important, but I feel like there really needs to be more attention paid to to this grieving family um, that is in this grieving community in Sacramento. And so I, I want to think about ways in which I can lift up those voices um, and listen to and, them and, and follow their lead. Um, and so just being aware of, of that tendency of being able to make things all about myself, um, which then ends up leading to me colluding with oppression. So that's a great one. As for me, I don't want to automatically jump to salvation. Oh, I want this is Holy Week after all. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> week. Yeah. Um, I want to sit, sit in this darkness in like trying to say, where, where do I seek violence? Where is that kind of sin in me that I'm, that I'm one of those people who's saying crucify him, that that all of these tendencies, I don't want to other them of that's what they did then, but I'm better than that. I've, I know the right, right words that's say. Me. Yeah. I, I want to really acknowledge where am I doing that? Mm. And it might not be in those specific words, but where through my actions or my com- complacency, Am I falling into this trap of sin? And just, yeah, be more aware of that. That's good. Good luck to you both. With <laughs> you too. You too. <laughs> Thanks. I always feel like this is, it's much more ambitious. Mm-hmm. I, I'm always much more ambitious for myself than I can realistically well, yeah, do. And then but... you go home and you're like, oh, I got to do my laundry and get groceries. <laughs> and 
and it's uh, yeah and it's it's then you're at work and you know it's yeah it's it's i mean hopefully these podcasts help for us and all of you listening but you know it is, it is part of why we're doing this is because it is difficult to take that sermon and the, and the call to action in it and actually carry it out into your life intentionally because with in no time at all life gets busy again and you're overwhelmed with all the stuff on on your plate and yeah but hopefully by being more mindful about it we can begin to carry this into our lives a little better Thank you for listening. You can find us online at adventnyc.org. Our services are 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. in English and 12.30 p.m. in Spanish at 93rd and Broadway.